Hello and welcome to Developing the Leader Within Podcast, an award-winning podcast where I interview the top players in the leadership arena and we dissect leadership, management, and career development from all angles. My name is Enrique Acosta-Gonzalez and I use my more than 20 years of experience in leadership development to dig deep into complex issues and bring you the answers you were looking for. If a topic resonates with you, and you would like to explore how to overcome it, reach out to me at calendly.com backslash triad leadership solutions to discuss ways to succeed. Welcome back to another episode. We are celebrating the U.S. Marine Corps birthday this week and speaking with SEAC Brian B. Battaglia. SEAC Battaglia was the second Senior enlisted advisor to the chairman, joint chief of staff, and served in the Marine Corps for 35 years. And his personal awards include Legion of Merit, Bronze Star with Combat V, and one Gold Star, Purple Heart, and many, many others, to say the least. SEAC, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Enrique. Thank you. Well, folks, we are celebrating 247 years of of service to our nation. That is no small feat. My ship and will ever will forever be my ship. Uh, but before we get into all the good stuff around the Marine Corps, Siak, tell us a little bit about you and your and your journey in the Marine Corps. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, and 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 it's a journey it has been. I'll tell you. And even when you just had mentioned Gator Freighters, brought back some just some some wonderful memories of uh, of those times as an infantry guy deploying so many occasions aboard ship and and the friendships that you make and the you know the collaboration that you witness so small down at the at the very low tactical level both uh with our sister service the navy and with other nations that you deploy ashore and work with you don't realize maybe the impact and significance back then as a young you know e3 e4 sergeant corporal but as the memories return now you you think how that person wouldn't be my friend to this day if uh if it weren't for that deployment and it's just you can't put a price uh, really on that so yeah 247 years we're celebrating this week as a matter of fact uh, you know we take a lot of our tradition off of the british royal marines who recently celebrated their 358th birthday much of course, much older than us. That was October 26th, I believe, 1664, and uh, October 28th. And uh, I did an exchange program with them, and, and so I have a intimate connection and relationship with uh, with that service as well. But uh, it's, you know, it may be coincidental that they're so close with, with the birthdays. And, of course, you know, we – follow on the next day with Veterans Day, which expands out from just that of uh, celebrating the Marine Corps birthday and goes from a Semper Fidelis to um, thank you for your service to our to our nation, both past and present. So um, as each and every birthday and all the service branches celebrate their birthday in, in their own way, although I would probably admit that the Corps probably um, takes it uh, a step or two further, and and it really doesn't matter where you are or how many people are there. You're going to celebrate, whether that be with a shot of your favorite adult beverage, to 
having a cigar or having, you know, looking in the mirror and singing the Marines hymn to yourself. If there's some way, shape or form that you, um, that you celebrate and recognize the Corps' birthday. So a little bit about me. Uh, I grew up in a, uh, in a small city suburb of New Orleans called Metairie in a, just a, a, a fabulous Catholic raised American Italian family. And, and I say that for a reason and I'll get to that later. Um, after high school, I, uh, I joined the Marines like many of us do. We, we joined the military. College certainly wasn't uh, in the immediate future for me as, as the next steps in my childhood development. And so a buddy and I joined, we went into the infantry and stayed there in the infantry, uh, being assigned to various units and duties for the latter part of 17 years when um, the transition from the, uh, the infantry to a first sergeant or a, you know, kind of a command element leader took place. And so the first sergeant, sergeant major route is the route that I chose to take. And, um, and that lasted until my retirement from, uh, from the Pentagon in 2000 and late 2016, I think I finally retired, which was, uh, 37 years and some change, 36 years and some change, eight months or something like that. You know, and, and I'm not trying to put a number on it to boast or brag. I, I guess the number is it happens too fast. It, it just goes by. You, you think about it back then, you say, boy, I wish I was 30 again, but it really, really goes by uh, so very fast. The things that you and I have done throughout our military service from from schools to uh, events to operations to learning to being educated and develop. I mean, Lord have mercy. Uh, I'm I'm just thankful each and every day. Not not just to our Lord for being here on Earth, but to the United States government for having the opportunity to serve our country. So that's Brian Battaglia's story in a nutshell. Well, yeah, that was a, a very tight nutshell because I know you have such vast experience. Uh, you know, I have mentioned earlier, 35, 36, 37, uh, uh, still, I mean, once you go past 30, that's a long time. It sure um, is. We were, we were so fortunate to have you, uh, at the head there. Number two, I mentioned, uh, as we introduced the podcast, what a great position. And we were talking previously to this, to have a multi-force senior enlisted advisor where, you know, and there's not a, any direct, you get this turn, you get that turn. Whoever gets it at the time gets it. While I was in service and we met in Hawaii at the time, Fleet Marco Ramirez was there. Fleet uh, Mark Roods uh, was at Indo Pack, And, you know, it was just nice to see a person in a different uniform. Now, obviously, I, I'm likened to the Marine Corps because of my, my uh, history there with Gators. Sure. But to see someone else in a different uniform, leading Pentagon, the Joint Chiefs, uh, uh, advising at that level was such a nice thing to see. Joint Forces is one of the best environments that we could ever have. We learn so much from each other. And as you're learning and as you were growing in from infantry to your your latter years at SEAC, um, what pivotal leadership moments did you learn the most from while while serving? Well, 
I could initially start this conversation off with a leadership moment. The standard was high and, and it's high for a reason. And then when I found myself being promoted or implanted into leadership positions at various levels, squad, platoon, company, it was obviously now my responsibility as well as any other leader in uniform to have an obligation to keep that standard high, not necessarily higher, but, but high. And, and it's all for a reason. And it comes down to, I think, um, readiness and, and discipline. Another leadership moment I had that sort of sticks out at me is that not every order or policy that comes from our higher echelon, we may totally agree with, have total buy-in. And there may be reasons for that. We, we may not see the entire picture. Nonetheless, it's in order and it's a policy where it expected to follow it as well as enforce enforce it. But it's really a defining moment in our career at that juncture as to how you're going to grasp that that policy and either sell it or just sort of go through the motions, conflict or and or you know confrontation. But it 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 defines your your metal and your intestinal fortitude when totally agreed with and I don't want to say it's 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 a a, a test of, of of loyalty per se, because as you move in senior levels of, of leadership, there's an expectation that you are gonna in a way challenge authority if you feel there's some you know ethical or moral shortfall. That's for the senior leadership levels, I think, to necessarily get involved in. But it's a moment that really stuck out to me because I didn't, and in part, I didn't have the entire picture, and so it caused myself to question the order and the policy once I understood it. The buy-in comes much easier. We almost had it flipped backwards where we didn't advertise it and socialize it before we we implemented it. And then um, another moment, or uh, just one more moment I'll give you is going back to the basics. It's a, it's a term that I really started hearing as, as SEAC. And and I that's one thing I had buy in because I seen things in in the arm, across the armed forces that we were uh, we were falling short of the mark. And you relate back to our earlier days in the service to say we wouldn't have a problem with this at all. What is the problem? Well, it's we we've lost that basic. And part of the loss was that some of the older generation of leadership wasn't attuned to the let's say, technology-driven soldiers, Marines, sailors, airmen, and Coast Guardsmen, and National Guardsmen. And, and so there was, a, there was a hit and miss there. And this back to the basics, while it was a catchy phrase, it was, it was also incomplete. And I don't think it was a total problem solver that we were really in need of or, or looking for. And that, now, this was sort of at the height or initial decline in Iraq and Afghanistan. And coming back to a garrison type environment where a large, large adjustment to my office sort of got together. We brainstormed this with some other peers and, uh, and we developed this. Um, it's not necessarily back to the basics, but rather uh, bridging the basics. And it's the bridge of the basics between an older generation where things may still apply and work 
to a new generation where we are not completely savvy with or how to engage or relate to, and it's bridging both of those to today's joint force. And it it seemed to work and, and catch on, but uh, I just felt ourselves taking a step back if we completely went back, tried to go back to the basics where some things, as you know, Enrique, just weren't going to um, weren't, didn't apply anymore in today's uh, world in military. Bridging the basics is uh, is a is a concept and a leadership moment that I I recall very fondly as uh, as my last office. No, and I, I appreciate that. I remember brilliant on the basics very well <laughs> when I was still in uh, Big Paul Stevens. That was his you know, charge to the mass as we led sailors. And there is a very important factor in that. You can't just ditch basics because it is foundational, right? Uh, but you you are right. You have to apply common day, nowadays type of approaches and bridge those two. So great moments there that anyone could actually learn from. And one of the areas was that you mentioned making clear the vision, right? Making clear that, that what you want from your force, sometimes you don't get all the backstory. Sure. Turns into a challenge sometimes, and you have to develop a, a how do I implement this? How do I deliver this? and make it still right. Uh, eatable, right? And we came up with some uh, interesting <laughs> approaches of that. But thank you for sharing those three very uh, pivotal indeed. Um, when we're looking at uh, impact, right, and as leaders, typically that's where we get our biggest bang for the buck. How do you impact? How do you influence? So who was instrumental and impactful that impacted you while you was in the military? Oh, my Lord. Well, that... That list is truly long. However, I would say that it's it's a it's a very nice plug or segue to say there have been people who have impacted mainly positive um, throughout my career. Very instrumental. N- nothing happened to the you know once that was over with that small little exercise. It was a tool for me to better the command, not necessarily just to better me. But I would suggest that to any leader growing up that every every once in a while, periodically, you use your your junior folks, your subordinates to help evaluate where you're going, because they certainly going to see some things that that you just don't. And then we're probably talking about role models, although we had said that, you know, that exact term and what an important part of life, both for in the military and, and out of it for success and survival. And uh, we, we stress that very large throughout the armed forces. Enrique, I'm sure you've had a, a slew of role models yourself. I still use them to this day. And, and they're while they're not used daily, you know, I, I can rely on them <clears throat> to give me a true and unvarnished opinion of where I'm heading with something or a decision I certainly uh, am required to make. And, and they have proven their worth in gold. Um, you know, and, and there's, this is not gender-based. This is not religious denomination-based uh, or even specialty or MOS-based. It's someone who I feel as a role model that I want to be like when I get to the, be their age and experience. And, and again, my father was, was one of those from uh, the early ages of teaching me resiliency through, uh, through today. 
So, yeah, I can't overemphasize the importance of role models in our lives, both in and out of the military. Yeah, absolutely. As you as you mentioned in that last part there, uh, my mind immediately goes to Mick Pond, Dwayne Bushy, and Jim Hurt. Uh, they have been such a blessing in my life. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, uh, if you're listening. And I have a, another handful of others that have been so instrumental. Absolutely. Uh, so, yes, uh, I totally agree with that. Now, we was mentioning earlier that bridging of, of basics with technology. There's a lot of thought around where we are as a force, you know, where we were, where we are, and where we're headed. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you about your thoughts re- uh, regarding the future of the Marine Corps. Let me make a disclaimer that probably during this part of our conversation, I'm going to expand out beyond just that of the core as well. And that's by default, uh, just the exposure that I've had with the, with the other service branches. I think in the end, the core will be just fine. And we, as a, as a nation, if you, if you keep tabs on military information, let's say the media can really put a narrative or a spin from slinging mud to a good news story, you know, all in one sentence. So we have to be very careful where we get our information from. We also, um, these surveys taken that may, um, again, it's the narrative that may have three people take the survey two say yes. And one say no. And it's 75% of this, you know, one, the yes. So it's, it's really misinformation of what you might hear. Anyway, the core is going through change as well as the other service branches as well. And, and we find that not solely because of the administration, it happens to be in office as our civilian leadership. Other factors take place, Enrique, like post-war or conflict, forces change upon the military, whether that be increase or decrease. And normally it's, it's a decrease in, in adjustment of troop levels and equipment. Budgetary constraints certainly bring up a, a factor in the future of, you know, name, name the service. Recruiting seems to have hit the um, the media circuit in more of a negative connotation than a positive one. We've always been challenged with recruiting. It's a challenging field, right? And and we all know that there's a significant percentage of the American youth of 18 to 24 that doesn't necessarily fully qualify to join the the military. That's why we have waivers and. You know, you apply the waiver. It, it doesn't make the young kid less than fully qualified, per se, because they are looking for direction and guidance. And so if they meet that criteria by our standard, then I think it's it's initially become a, a win-win. Uh, recruiters, uh, in, in the core for that matter, don't get credit for that recruit until they graduate boot camp. So they can sign, they can sign up to their heart's content, but the official, you know, ruling of you got credit for that signature is when they pass boot camp. So the onus goes on the recruiter to prepare that young man or woman for boot camp and meeting that high standard. There'll always be an attrition rate that there has to be, but uh, you know, uh, that's 
that's one thought of of the the course future is the is the recruiting. I, I hope the criteria to join the Marines doesn't lessen. We have been a very, very proud service, uh, not to boast or brag, but to set uh, perhaps a, a standard with the other service branches of uh, the, the high percentage of high school graduates that we have joining instead of less than high school. You know, back when you and I joined, 10th grade was good enough. And maybe older than our generation, it was less than that. It required a small waiver, but it was a simple check in the box. Because at that point in time, the philosophy of of serving was what to think, not how to think. That's what we were looking to to brew, right? And in the in the Marines, and specific only to the Marines, when someone joined. Uh, on a four-year contract, that whole conglomerate of uh, the recruiting pool, we, when 75% of those got out after their four-year enlistment, that was a success story for us. The core is a young man's game or young woman's game too. And, and, and so we know not everyone's going to, going to stay in and the 25% moved on to the NCO and staff and CO ranks and, and what have you. But um, I hope the criteria doesn't join. These are my two takeaways in that the uh, I'm very proud of the high school graduate percentage that we have joining because it it does. It really takes a smarter young man or woman to maneuver and navigate the successes of military service, especially in the in the Marines of how physical and demanding it can be. And that you know, if someone's interested, don't buy off and drink the Kool-Aid of what you may see in the media about recruiting and the problems thereof. You mentioning that process of, of, Hey, you don't get the credit. I'm over here like, Whoa, what? That's a, you know, talk about a salesman's nightmare. <laughs> Imagine if you're having to do that out in the, in the common uh, civilian population. Yeah. And, and every time that you uh, brought somebody in, you only get credit for them if they if they stay a year in the company, right? That's uh that that would be uh, something equivalent. No, I, I I love that and normalize in a military setting because when we separate that group, when we were separated from, I almost say separated from the world, um, but that's really what it was uh, into and, and ingested into this new world. There is a a, a difference in the in the thought pattern difference in the way you approach things and you learn better ways you learn uh, more concrete ways but not only f- for the benefit of self but obviously for the benefit of team and that takes center stage the team mentality is the, the foundational floor for everything we do and and that's why they will be uh, just totally fine. agree yeah totally yeah agree. they'll they'll do great um, and, and that goes for, for all the services. Now we have a, a newer service, the Space Force, uh, and they're going through their own milestones and growing pains, uh, but they will also be great. I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of things coming out of that particular service. Now, you learned a lot of things throughout your 36 years uh, and change in service. What pearls of wisdom uh, did you learn at those, uh, you know, through that career that you would like to share with the listening audience? Um, this uh, this comment may also be applicable to the last 
part of discussion we just had, uh, not, not necessarily a some pearl of wisdom, but uh, perhaps it is for for leadership. The challenges that we've had in recruiting, some of the challenges with the biggest employment agency in the entire country, of course, the DOD, has uh, has led, and this is not new, this has been going on for some time, has led think tanks and veteran service organizations, not to name any here publicly, uh, about bringing back the draft. And that is, um, you know, the, the answer to taking care of our military and returning it to a degree of readiness that one thinks we're not at, or the recruiting shortfalls and getting the numbers up. And then it will also take care of America's youth problem that we seem to have with obesity and and what have you. I'm uh, I'm against that thought and concept. We've obviously tried that before. Back in July of 74 is when we sort of visually went to a an all-volunteer force. And it's been that way since. It's worked for us just fine. But it does place a, a, a large amount of stress, if you will, on the recruiting force. But what you get in the end is someone who wants to be there, not has to be there. We've learned some valuable lessons with having the draft. And the draft showed that we wasn't prepared. So um, until someone can convince me otherwise, and I was approached with this while still in the Pentagon. And, uh, and so I've not changed my opinion at all. I don't believe the draft or compulsory service, should I say, is the answer to answering any sort of uh, temporary shortfalls that we may have with personnel readiness or, or strength. For your um, for your listeners, Enrique, who may want to consider joining the military, which is a great career, man. It just opens up so many opportunities for you for the rest of your life. Uh, and I see that more now as a veteran and retiree than I did while I was still serving. Uh, for example, when uh, when I'll reach out to a veteran here locally and uh, uh, someone who's having a problem here locally, let's say some mental issues, and I ask that individual, well, are you a veteran perhaps? And they say no, it limits choices, it limits options, it limits avenues that he or she can go through or I can help them find a resource for. It just limits them, right? Not that they're going to get inadequate service, but compared to their civilian counterpart, if they had served, there's so many more and the VA is probably a you know the, the big 800-pound gorilla. But um, if anyone in, of your listening community is, is thinking about joining or their son, daughter, grandchild, one little tidbit that I tried to follow along the course of my career was to do my job to the best of my ability and to follow orders. And it didn't matter whether the job was, now look, get, you know, we're talking about a Louisiana high school education here. So I wasn't the smartest cookie in the jar. And I always, you know, I, I never always got it right. But if the job may have contained a working party doing a, you know, a resupply aboard the ship, the vert rep or the unrep, and you're in a, a line heaving and hauling uh, groceries and goods and dry goods, you, you do it to the best of your ability. It's got nothing to do necessarily with your infantry skills and tactics. 
but it's it's there for survival and it's the team, as you mentioned earlier. So the job can come in many forms and fashions. That's just doing it to the best of your ability. Following orders will keep you out of trouble, of course. And not that the uh, our services have a zero defect mentality, but leadership is only going to put up with so much before you know you you really bring the wrong kind of attention to yourself and find that your career is being limited. I also found uh, call it a pearl, but if you if you feel that you're an asset to your work section, to your command, to your unit, to your ship, then your complaints will never outweigh your corrective actions. And said another way, you can find yourself bitching, moaning, groaning at something that you really don't feel like doing or a problem that may be identified. And we would rather have you be part of the solution and not the problem by continuing the bitching and the moaning and groaning. So it's the old, it's the old put up or shut up and, um, and be part of the solution. Now this is specific just to the core, but I, I think the other service branches use them in, in, in a just set a different way. We have 14 leadership traits and 11 leadership principles that are very near and dear to our heart. And, Anyone who follows those, regardless of uniform color and branch, can greatly assist in their success in leadership. It's a dynamic that can become very complex and difficult of problem solving. But these leadership and principles that we all learn as Marine leaders growing up are like the Ten Commandments to a religious leader in the Vatican. That's, and I'm not trying to downplay the Ten Commandments, but that's how important that they are that we use uh, and not just one at a time, but uh, and constantly throughout our career, those traits and principles help me to this day. And it really keeps you uh, on a straight and narrow. If you, if you follow them honestly and, and true. I also think uh, Enrique that uh, every command, every section, every ship needs some sort of resiliency framework to succeed longevity and success that really came to me and I mean just hit me square in the forehead when I went to the Pentagon and uh and Admiral Mullen who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs then we had met a couple of times he is the sort of the grandfather of this total force fitness and that's a framework that's designed to apply to every one of the service branches National Guard included, that will, and so the total force fitness sort of took off. The service branches resisted a bit, but then I think understood the mind, body, and spirit concept and how it could help things like suicide, um, sexual assault, you know, uh, financial trouble, and things like that. So Total Force Fitness, a big believer in it still to this day, and, and I hope it's it's very, very active in the, in the Department of Defense even after I left. That's that's a mega pearl of, of wisdom that I would share with anybody because uh, recruits were learning it while they were still in basic training. And then I would tell you also, the lastly, as the, the non-commissioned officer and petty officer, coupled with the company grade officer, are still the center of gravity in our armed forces.
It's uh, it's not lower than that. It's not the colonels and the navy captains. It's uh, it's that community right there, the mid level line leadership that makes it happen, ensures it's done, and are the ones you know got their hands out for the next mission to come. The non commissioned officer, petty officer, and company grade officers. That's my story, Bubba, and I'm sticking to it. And I believe it and support it as well. You know, there there are a lot of things that you could share leadership wise that can help somebody down the road. Absolutely. You know, re- resiliency has undoubtedly been at the forefront of all of we've done in the last three years. And I think that the majority of us that did come up under Admiral Mullen and, and that model were able to uh, not only go through these periods, but also maintain our health, right? Overall holistic health Yes. Um, through this last three years. Uh, and, and all thanks to uh, that military setting that, that, that absorbed that and said, you know what, it's just something that we can actually march forward with. Let's implement it. And uh, I am definitely thankful uh, for having that in my toolbox uh, for the last three years. Now, there's a lot of, of conversation that we've had around recruiting, uh, things in that of, of that nature, because it has been a challenge. But there are a lot of young men and women that may be listening and are getting ready to make that final decision uh, or considering entering the service and and you at uh, SEAC as as an overall uh, arching uh, senior enlisted advisor uh, can obviously uh, speak to all of this, those young men and women that, that are going into any other services. But what leadership tip or advice would you give them as they're considering coming in? Well, you know, uh, again, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I would uh, be careful with listening to what you see and, and read on social media and those sound bites that tend to sensationalize a negative narrative. This is, you know, your life that you're talking about. And, and there's opportunity once high school has been completed or college, you know, has, has been finished, or you use the armed forces to complete your college. It's one of the, uh, one of the many benefits that you can um, earn, let's say, should you have a desire to serve in uniform, we know the days, although there may be a few and far between, we know the days of coming in for the complete patriotism and, and service to my country because I owe it to, to them may, may have minimized and, and flattened out. And there are, there are a plethora of reasons why the young of today want to uh, join the military. And, and so you have to satisfy this, this need, right? The, not necessarily what's in it for me, but what can I get out of it? Just so much significant opportunity for anyone who serves. And, and I'm not going to be biased just to the core, but, but I would tell you that I, I envy the way the Air Force has used its enlisted promotion system and connected it into college progression that if you're not at this stage in your in your college studies and graduation, you're not getting promoted. And, all, and use it as a forcing function, which you you would hope that it didn't have to be that way, but it uh, it it forces upon the importance of education. 
and how valuable that they don't realize at the time you're going to need that on the outside. You know, nowadays out here in this world, the, the bachelor's degree is really the new high school diploma in many ways. And, and so you find yourself at the back of the line getting on a ladder trying to look over the crowd if you got a high school diploma and, and you think that's okay because we're still selling it. And in some cases, it's uh, it's not. Now, there's only about, I think, 11% maybe. My, my, my data may be a little dated, but 11%, 17% of folks who join wind up staying at 20 years. There was a very, very high percentage. So that 89% who wind up getting out after four years, you can use that four years to really prepare yourself at the same time you're serving your country uh, for a, a bigger and greater world, and you will depart the military, uh, again, any service, so much more prepared, educated, directed, um, leader-developed, skilled, specialized than your civilian counterpart who got out of high school and just went into a job. If you think losing four years of of time that you could have worked in a job, you can catch that up in a heartbeat because you'll you'll find that once you get into an institution or some sort of industry, because of your military service will cause you to advance more quickly than those who who didn't serve. This uh, this four years goes by pretty fast, you know, and and um, while we would all love to stay in perhaps that's not going to be possible but the the military did right and just for us because i i think we wanted it to and we we worked at it we didn't lay around and and uh expect it to come to us we went and grabbed it and that's that's got to be part of the success too so the, the initiative that our dod teaches individuals to get hungry for make an assessment, make a decision and go get, and go get it is something that is very lacking in our, I think our civilian world of, of uh, employment. And, and that's why we see it here. So many civilian employers uh, begging for the military veteran to come work for them. Yeah, absolutely true folks. If you're considering service to your nation, any one of the services will uh, gladly uh, facilitate that. And you will not regret, I know I don't regret any day <laughs> that I spent in the service. Uh, as you mentioned, SEAC, it was very uh, good for me and, and for yourself. It gave you what you went for. And I was uh, fort, and you were blessed to get to the height in your career as well uh, because we were able to do that. Now, if uh, SEAC, if someone is listening, would like to get a hold of you, what would be the preferred method uh, that you would give? Well, you know, you get the spelling of my last name right, and you can look me up on both Facebook and LinkedIn. I, I frequent more on LinkedIn do that than I do on, on Facebook, but uh, that's a quick reach. And, and um, yeah, any advice I can certainly offer, the, the pros and cons of, of serving in the military and what it can do for an individual, um, I, I'd be more than happy to, to share. All right, folks. Well, I'm going to make sure to have that as part of the video and show notes. Uh, SIAC, it's been a pleasure uh, to speak to you this morning. 
see you again after so many years. It's almost been seven years since I last saw you, uh, but such a pleasure. Folks, I just want to remind everybody that today's episode is sponsored by Triad Leadership Solutions. If you've enjoyed this episode and learned something interesting about the topic covered today, make sure to subscribe and let us know by leaving a comment right now. And we're always looking for new ideas and guests that we can add to the show. So if you know someone or have a topic that you would like featured on the podcast or want to sponsor our show, we'd love to hear about it by emailing us at triadleadershipsolutions at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode where we dissect leadership from another angle. And as we like to end the show, success to you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Triad Leadership Solutions and on Twitter at TLS underscore FL. Thanks again. I'll see you next week and success to you.